What's up, podcast listeners? This is Miguel, and I just wanted to let you know that Move On, the latest track, the latest single, is out now on all streaming platforms. So go to the link in the show notes or go to my website, justthemiguel.com, J-U-S-T-T-H-E-M-I-G-U-E-L.com. Click music, and you can listen on any of uh, your favorite platforms. And if you dig it, please make sure you share it. Uh, thanks for all the love you gave to I Need a Light, the first single out, and then the love you're given already to move on. And I got some more tracks coming every single month. And today I'm going to try something a little different before we get going into the full episode. Again, we have a great episode today with Michael Kent. Some great stuff in there, some great insight. Uh, but before we do that, I'm going to play some audio from a video that I put out on like TikTok and Instagram. It's a short little video where I actually was just talking to my car on my way into the studio uh, to work on the 2022 music. And just shared my own thoughts and my own wrestlings with dealing with anger and dealing with negative self-talk. So, yeah, I, I got uh, some good feedback uh, in person and online from people. And so I wanted to share it here with you before we get into the full episode. One of the podcast guests, uh, Randy Shine, a brilliant magician out of Philadelphia uh, and a friend of mine. He had some great advice as far as keeping a positive attitude. And, and I keep thinking about it more and more and, and basically it's a, it's a simple concept but it's this idea that you have to actually let yourself be angry about shit and then let it go like give yourself a time period so like for him it's 24 hours if he can't control something and he can't make a plan to change it he can be angry about it for 24 hours he can bitch about it and he can be salty about it but then after that he's got to let that shit go and move on um, and I've, I've been actually applying it as well to this concept of like negative self-talk and self-doubt, uh, something that, that I deal with. I think a lot of artists probably, a lot of people in general deal with. Um, but it, like even for like last night, laying down and, and just starting to doubt all all the things, all the goals I have <laughs> and all my abilities. But, but actually instead of fighting it, just letting those thoughts kind of be there um, and knowing that they don't have to take hold. And then in the morning waking up and getting back to it and feeling all of a sudden being able to let that go and, and have like a new invigorated uh, focus on my goals and a new invigorated uh, love for what I'm doing and belief in myself and belief in the people around me. So, so yeah, I encourage you if you're dealing with just negativity or anger or whatever it is, give, your, give yourself a moment, even if it's like an hour, even if it's a day, whatever it is, allow those things to be there because often when we fight it, um, it, it, it makes it even worse. Uh, but then, then say, okay, I'm done with that. I'm moving on. What's next? What's the new goal? And what's the positive thought? And what's the positive thing I'm going to hold on to? I don't know. Um, it seems to be helping me. And I know for him, for Randy, it's helped a lot as well for him throughout the, the last decade, really. So yeah, let me know your thoughts. Drop it in the comments or reply if you're seeing this on the story. So on social media, I titled that, Be Angry and Let That Shit Go. Uh, let me know. Let me know your thoughts. Um, what are some of the ways that you deal with anxiety? What are some of the ways that you deal with these negative thoughts or the anger? I'd love to hear that. You can hit me up uh, on the website uh, through email, booking at justthemiguel.com. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Or you can hit me up on social media as at at Just the Miguel, all of it, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, all the good stuff. But now it is time for the episode today. 
What is up? I am Miguel Antonio, and this is the Live and Create Podcast. It's where I interview artists and entrepreneurs about what it means to live a great life and create great things. And on today's episode, we have Michael Kent. He's a magician, comedian, and host of the podcast, The Internet Says It's True. He's a self-proclaimed smartass, and he works on changing the old saying that nobody likes a smartass. Michael is a comedian and magician from Ohio, and he gives the ancient art of magic a facelift with an irreverent, often satirical comedic spin. Michael spent his younger years learning magic to make friends and meet girls. After graduating from college, it became his job. And Michael studied communications, linguistics, and theater at the Ohio State University and has studied at the world-famous Second City Comedy Theater in Chicago. He has performed for audiences all over the globe, from the Magic Castle in Hollywood to U.S. troops serving overseas in 13 different countries. He's been seen in hundreds of colleges all over the country in as many as 40 states in a single year. In this episode, Michael shares his experience and perspective as an atheist, Buddhist, and skeptic. He also breaks down how he adapted during COVID as a touring magician and learned live streaming and also launched his incredible podcast, The Internet Says It's True. We also hit topics such as not marrying a fan, the power of having a diversity of interests, how essential hustle is, and so much more. It's a great episode. Enjoy. The Live and Create Podcast. Man, so it's it's hard to know really with you where to start because I mean you you have all these titles like professional smartass, uh, yeah. comedian, magician. Uh, you actually know where like well I guess you don't know where the hidden nuclear warheads are, but you know that the U.S. <laughs> at least lost them. Uh, so many directions <laughs> we could yeah. go uh, with your history. But I, one thing I thought was curious though I saw on your personal uh, Facebook is you were on I think you were on a podcast with Matt Delahunty. Is that just just recently I did uh, not a podcast. Well, it was his his show called The Hang Up. OK, which yeah, is uh, just sort of his personal uh, ranting YouTube thing. He takes callers and, and has a lot of supporters that come in and uh, and I'll be joining him on his show, The Atheist Experience uh, next. No month. shit, dude. Yeah. That is amazing. I love that show. So yeah, I've not seen that. I've not listened to The Hang Up yet, um, but I've heard him talk about it. But yeah, ACA. All the stuff they're doing, uh, atheist experiences, uh, yeah. a really cool thing. So how'd you get connected in that world? Through magic. Um, so <clears throat> we have a, a mutual friend, Brian Brushwood, who uh, I was, I was, Brian was in town for uh, one of the skeptical meetings. I'm not sure what it was. And Matt was speaking at it. I believe both of them were speaking at it. And I was meeting with Brian to go over. He was helping me out with one of my, some of my material. And they were, he was having lunch with Matt, and that's how I met Matt. And, and since then, we've remained friends. Uh, he's come out to see my show when I've been in his area, and uh, and I had him on my my uh, web show, my my talk show that I that I did for forty five weeks through the pandemic. Oh, nice! Um, so yeah, I had him tell a story, and uh, and yeah, it's been it's been good. We have a lot of of common interests. So. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, I know the magic thing being a, a tie-in on that. So that must have been pretty cool. When when is the date of that you'll be on the atheist experience? Uh, I'd have to look that up, Miguel. I, I pretty much it's, listen to every single one, so I'll probably I'll probably hit on that one. It's uh, da, 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 July twenty fifth. I'll be on. Nice man. That's pretty yep. exciting. That's pretty exciting. Now yeah, for you, really the cool. the atheist world is that is that a piece where like, are you, are you actually an atheist or is just a world you feel comfortable in hanging out with different folks? Uh, both. Yeah, I am. 
I'm an atheist Buddhist. So I, I practice Buddhism and, uh, and what I call, or what I guess I don't call, but is called pragmatic Buddhism. That nice. is to say that I don't subscribe to a lot of the supernatural beliefs that are sometimes tied in with Buddhism, uh, reincarnation, right. some of these things. Um, I see a lot of those as descriptions of this life. Uh, so for example, they talk about being reincarnated, reincarnated in, in different levels. There's, okay. you know, there's the hungry ghost level and the God level and the animal level and all these different things. And I see those as different parts of this life that we walk. So there are parts of your life in which you are, um, you see yourself as a God. Um, and there are parts of your life in which you see yourself as a hungry ghost. And there are parts of your life in which you see yourself as an animal. Um, and, you know, and I've been through multiple phases of life in, in which I can see myself having transformed through these different things. And uh, same with the, the Buddhist concept of nirvana, mm -hmm. you know, enlightenment. Um, I see that as fleeting moments in our lives. Um, you know, yesterday I spent, or no, not yesterday, I was uh, Sunday. I spent most of the day outside doing photography uh, and I spent, I probably spent three hours just sitting by a river nice. and it was amazing. And it was an amazing experience. It was one of that those sounds days like a good where, day. yeah, it's, it, this has been my escape lately is just hiking into nature with my camera. And there are times when I don't see anything and it's a really nice lesson of letting go of control that I am not in control of nature and I can't get upset that I don't see anything to take photos of. But this weekend was one of those times when everything was clicking. I just saw one of everything. And nice. it was it was beautiful. And I could count that as a bit of what, you know, what I would call nirvana or, or enlightenment. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I come in with that. And in terms of uh, atheist, yeah, I absolutely would, would call myself one. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm a voiceover uh, artist as well. And I'm narrating a theological book or a, a gospel book right now, which is a lot. Of fun. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be really interesting. That's uh, my story. I used to be like pastor and like uh, church planning world, training church planners. And then over time, the deeper and deeper I went, eventually became an atheist, which is kind of mm -hmm. bad for the whole pastoring career thing. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, but I, after a few years, I was touring with my band. I came back home and started playing in churches again because they were paying me to play like guitar. I was like, I don't, I'm not interested in singing, but yeah. it was such a weird experience. It, it was a good experience. I think it helped me like wrestle with some shit that was like sure. still in my head. But yeah, yeah it, it was definitely an experience. So I can imagine what that'd be like for you. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any problem with it because I very much see that as acting. And right. um, it's about it's about conveying a message as clearly as possible, you know, in, in a way that keeps people engaged. And it's not about, for me, it's not, you know, I, I'm not, it's not, it's very, it's very much the same as like if I were an actor, you know, if I were right. playing a role on a TV show. So yeah, and and it's something that I'd really like to do more of in terms of audiobooks, because I've done a lot of like commercials and strangely enough, the spot where I've done a lot of voiceover work is industrial warnings. Oh, so if you okay. if you ever hear a car wash <laughs> saying please drive forward, that's usually me. Um, I have to, I'll have to listen a, a little closer next time I go next to the time. car wash. Next I time you get it, your man. car washed, yeah. Well, and I get that too. For me, it's all about context, like. 
uh, I think one of the like episode 11 or 12 is a friend of mine uh, came on and he's publishing his first children's book. And it's all about teaching. He had lost uh, his son and he was teaching him. The book is about him teaching his daughter uh, about the fact that her brother had died, like as a young, as a young kid, it's a very powerful book, but it's, you know, it's Christian centered and, and someone, someone messaged me. They're like, Hey, is it okay that he comes on the podcast? And I was like, well, atheists make up like, I don't know, 4% of the population. So I'm going to have hardly any guests if I don't. So it's because for this, it's about each person's stories. And we've had people from all different faiths kind of talk and it's like, how do you, how do you provide that kind of context? Uh, but I think it's hilarious that you just said the Buddhist atheist thing. Cause the three episodes before you, a guy named Hank Weedle, um, we, I filmed it last week. So it'll come out in about a month. Uh, we he was trying to like process where he was spiritually, just as we were talking out loud. And yeah. I mentioned, I was like, I've heard of atheists, like Buddhists, like people who practice like these traditions, but they don't see the sure. spiritual end. And he's like, you know what? I've never heard of that before, but I think that's my, that might be what I am. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just cool. It's just cool to hear you break down like your perspective of, of what that looks like for you. Yeah. And in, in Buddhism, I mean, the root of Buddhism is not based on a God to begin with. So, you know, technically all Buddhists are atheists when it comes down to it, because Buddha was not a God and isn't purported to be a God. Uh, he was just a man who came up with, these ideas that he passed on. Now that said, there are many supernatural beliefs that have worked their way. And there are so many different parts of Buddhism where it's based on where it spread and when it spread, where it has become dogmatic, it has become supernatural, um, you know, and they've risen, they've, they've taken these Buddhas throughout history and risen them to this level of a God, Hmm. you know, even, I was a member of, of the local Shambhala Buddhism group here in, in town. That was, I was looking forever for a group to belong to and it was fantastic. But the leader of that group, not here locally, but nationally mm-hmm. ran into a whole bunch of really nasty scandal stuff. And a uh, lot of it had to do with the fact that he had been risen to this level of, you know, you can do no wrong. And he was doing right. all the things that, the beliefs were preaching against. So I just like it. I think it's a very practical set of values that are easy to, that that are, that make it easy to understand a lot of the struggles that we go through in life. Uh, Meaning when I have suffering in my life, whatever that type of suffering is, Buddhism gives me a way of looking at it that helps me deal with it. Um, you know, and, and it's a little bit better than just, oh, well, shit happens. It's, <laughs> it's a little bit, it, it helps me understand it. Um, and, uh, and I think that if there's stuff that I don't want to keep doing that I'm doing, it helps me understand how to not do that. <laughs> how to actually let go. Yeah. Like habit-based stuff. Right. That's awesome. And now was it, is that something early in life you were drawn to, or is that a more recent thing drawn to the practices? Uh, I would say around 20 years ago. So after college, I went through a pretty rough time with like personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And I went from a, uh, it was a really hard transition for me because I really found, like I came into my own in college. I really so, sort of thought I had found myself. And then right. after college, it was like, Because oh. we're all brilliant in college, right? We yeah. all know our, 
we know everything at that point. And, ev- and every day was a party. And I felt like I had all these friends and I was on top of the world. I was big man on campus. And then when that was gone, I was like, oh, wait, that must not have been real. Right. None of that stuff must have been, you know, that was all just a circumstance of my of my location and what I was doing uh, or a result of my circumstance, I should say. So it, that was tough. I went through a breakup. I went, lost a roommate. I lost a friend. And I just started seeking like why is all this happening? And Buddhism was a really great way for me to deal with some of those answers at a young age. I was like 21, 22. And I've just kept it up. You know, I've, there are times when I've been more in touch with it and less in touch with it. And it's been pretty consistently helpful, I would say. Um, And I like that it's a, it's sort of in line with my skepticism. Yeah. Uh, It, you know, Buddhism is a, is a, set of beliefs that teaches you to question, which I think is, is fantastic. And Absolutely. If all religions did that, well, I think that a lot of them wouldn't live. <laughs> a lot of, I think. If, Agreed. The, the more it, questions you ask is the, it becomes the problem. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, it's very difficult to ask modern questions about ancient philosophies. That's a great way to put it. Or something so, back then may have made sense to somebody, but yeah. as we live was, life and continue to grow. I was just listening to a podcast today about um, political history of, of America. I'm a nerd. I'm a huge nerd. <laughs> I guess that's the type of stuff I listen to. And they were talking about, you know, originalism in the constitution and, and what the founding fathers actually believed. And, and it's very difficult to come up with any sort of modern solutions and then refer back to something that happened that long ago. It's right. just so many circumstances are, are different. And, and you know, this is a very different world than it was 10 years ago, let alone 200 years ago. Absolutely. What podcast is that? Uh, it's, it's called, uh, oh my gosh. Because it sounds he, interesting. It's a great podcast. It's done by a professor at uh, Holy Cross. And he doesn't do it anymore. He stopped it last year, but it's still, he's got so many episodes that, okay, there it is. It's called In the Past Lane. In the Past Lane. Okay. Yep. Have to In check the that Past out. Lane. It's fantastic. He's a, he's a very uh, likable, likable guy on the podcast. And there's a lot of information and he has some great guests as well. A lot of academics. And I think people that he knows through his academic career. So yeah, it's, I, I, that's most of the podcasts I listen to are history based. <laughs> nice. Well, I imagine that that pours into why your podcast is so great as well, which I, I definitely want to dive into. Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a large part of, of what informs my podcast. The other half of the podcasts I listen to are things that are sort of similar to the one that I've created in that, uh, I, I like listening to interesting facts some of them are are very deep dive deep niche things you know if you listen to like 99% invisible it's a great podcast where mostly desi- it's it's a great podcast mostly designed based stuff um you know i i just really like uh i really like trivial <laughs> tri- trivial <laughs> facts that the, here's what i like here's what i like the idea that i'm 42 years old i haven't been in school for 20 years, 21 years, 
and I'm still learning. And I'm probably learning more at a faster rate now than I was then. I think that's amazing. Um, And it's, and I get to learn what I want to learn right now. Yeah. Instead of being forced into everything. I felt like my year after graduating college, I read more than any time during college. Is that right? I just be, it's like I suddenly became hungry to learn. And it's like, I remember like going to shows and like reading books on the way to shows and like in the van and, and all those things. And now, like once I discovered podcasting and then, then Audible, you know, like as those things yeah. like started popping up, it like, it changed everything as far as information that I could grow into and learn. Well, you had, you had established habits through, through, you know, however many years of school, if you count like elementary and high school and college, like, and all of a sudden those, your brain is hungry. <laughs> you right. know, it's like you're all of a sudden you're not using those same, <laughs> those same patterns that you were using for however many years. And, and right. for me, it's, I, I just, I think that it's amazing that if I want to, now I don't, I'm a, I'm a drummer. I've been a drummer my oh, whole nice. life. Okay. And, uh, I've always wanted to learn to play guitar. And I know that if I started and I went about it the right way, I could teach myself how to play guitar. And I think that's so cool. Just that idea that like, if you want to do it, you can just do it. And you can probably do it for free once you have a guitar. You know, that's the other thing. It's like, that's new. That's only, you know, the last 20 years that you could do that. So I, I think that, you know, and my mom gave me a guitar, I don't know, probably 10 years ago. And it's just been sitting there. And it's one of those things in the back of my head where I'm like, one day I'm going to learn how to play that. But if you look at the pandemic, there are so many things that I learned yeah. because I had to live streaming, podcasting, um, you know, and all of the things that go with that, you know, all the different pieces of software. I learned how to use OBS and I, I was on such a software kick. I converted my whole show, my live in-person show to QLab. And so now I learned how to use QLab, which is a huge nice. learning curve in and of itself. So <laughs> that's what that's it's awesome. about. It's about like not being stagnant, about always learning something interesting. And I want them to be the type of things that are easy to come up in conversation and that you discuss with other people. You know, some of the some yeah. of the topics that we've had on the show are weird they're weird you know like for instance one of the first episodes was about how dung beetles use stars to navigate where they're going wow yeah i've not heard that one so very difficult for that to come up in conversation but another one came up in conversation naturally i was on another show last week and uh it was about someone brought up the fact about the hidden village or the village that's under buried under central park And I did a whole episode about this and I can talk at length about it. And it came in very handy. I was like, oh yeah, I know about that. You know, and (laughs) and, because I had spent a week researching it. So So that that essentially came out of your love for just continuing to grow and learning, growing in knowledge. And talking to other people about interesting new stuff. Yeah. 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 You started the podcast during the pandemic. Is that when you gotta go? Okay. Yeah. If you think about like the way that all white people reacted last week to when they learned about Tulsa, the Tulsa massacre for the first time, Right. the people that didn't see um, Watchmen, like, you know, (laughs) that was, I learned about that probably only a couple years ago from a podcast. And that exact type of thing is why I started this was, I should have learned the insurrection episode kind of did that, you know, the same thing with, yeah, Wilmington, um, 1898, you know, 30 years after the civil war, 
there was a group of white supremacists that went and overthrew a Wilmington city government that had become integrated racially. And not, no one knows about that, but it's that one in particular is so timely to learn about, you know, that happened over 150 years ago and it's still like very relevant. That's, that's something that, uh, Okay, it's not 150 years, but whatever it is, 120 years. That's that is something that is so similar to things that we're seeing in the news today. That Absolutely. that one is, you know, they're not all they're not all about important issues, though. You know, I like to keep <laughs> well, it yeah, light. There the was, OMG one was pretty funny. Like the 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 history very, of OMG. So like for those listening, it's the internet says it's true. Uh, definitely check out the pod, podcast. I'll put the link in and everything thanks. as well. But um, but yeah, you you meander like that one was like the the history of abbreviating words and OMG and where it actually came from, which like, yeah, super fascinating. And then you scared the shit out of me to find out that, you know, the U S has just been accidentally dropping nuclear bombs uh, throughout <laughs> the world. And some of them, they still don't know where they're at. So six of them, six, yeah. six nuclear bombs are still <laughs> lost out of 32, which I guess, you know, we've recovered most of them, but, and that hasn't happened recently. I don't think, I think the most, <laughs> The more, if we're talking about that in modern terms, it's probably going to be, you know, someone losing a, a a briefcase with like chemical weapons in it or something. But right. But but yeah, in the in the fifties, we dropped accidentally a whole bunch of nuclear bombs because all of a sudden we had a whole bunch of planes that were carrying nuclear bombs for the first time, and this one particular plane. I laugh so I don't cry. That's yeah, seriously. <laughs> I mean, we almost nuked North Carolina, uh, South Carolina that dropped them too, but North and South Carolina both. Uh, they dropped bombs and the, just so happened that this one didn't have the nuclear core, the nuclear, uh, the fissile core in the bomb. Cause they loaded that in the airplane before they were bombing. That's somewhere. the one that went off, right? It uh, actually exploded with a ton of TNT, uh, which is what they used to like start the charge or whatever to start the, the, the warhead. Uh, and that still injured a whole family of people knocked down seven buildings the crater in the ground was 30 feet deep, 70 feet around, and it's still there today. Uh, and this happened in 1958. Yeah, and and uh, if you go there, they have there's like a little historical marker about this is where we dropped a nuclear bomb. They didn't nah. didn't go nuclear, just the bomb part. Uh, but it was the same thing where just a month before that, we did drop one that was armed with nuclear a nuclear warhead. And we dropped it in the ocean off of Tybee Island in, outside of Savannah. So, that's and that's fun. still there. They never did find that um, unless like the Russians found it and picked it up. We, we, no one has found that one. And they, they searched all the way up until about six years ago. That's nuts, man. Because like, how do you not find a nuclear bomb? That's right. what I don't understand. And, and in that case, they actually, I don't think I got into this in the podcast because, you know, I have to limit like the amount of information that I, I want to keep it to be around like under half an hour. Right. They actually did find, uh, they were using, uh, what's it called when they find like radioactive material? A Geiger counter, I guess. They have like okay. underwater versions of that. And they did find radiation. And they, they found the source of the radiation. They're like, we think we found this bomb. And when it got down to it, it was some sort of biologic um, like some some something living in the ocean that emitted radiation that was like Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, it was is that some your sort next of natural. <laughs> that's the, that's the one. Remember, <laughs> Godzilla is doing well and he lives in Savannah. Uh, yeah, no, it was it was some sort of natural phenomenon, not any sort of nuclear bomb. 
So they gave up wow. the search at that point. Yeah, it was so baffling, so baffling with that. So that I, for some reason, I thought maybe just the level of production and how you're executing. I thought you've been doing this for years. I didn't realize it just started uh, during the pandemic for you. So no, a lot of the skills. Well done, man. Thank you. Thank you. So many of the skills are things that I was already interested in or things that overlap with the education that I had to do for live streaming. So yeah. for those of you who, who are listening, I'm a, I'm a magician by trade. That's, that's what I do for a living. I, I tour 90 colleges a year sometimes. And in, two, in March of 2020, like many people, you know, my job was just sort of gone. I had in three days, probably 40 gigs that were just gone. Mm. And I'm looking at, yeah, I'm, I'm freaking out. I actually, I did not handle it well. I literally drank myself to sleep uh, three nights in a row. And my yeah, I wife, spent the first two, three weeks smoking closed yeah. cigarettes and drinking wine and whiskey. Yeah. Like it was water. It was, so. it was traumatic what we were going through, you know? And it's like, I don't blame anyone who didn't handle it well, but my wife, um, you know, thank goodness that like I have her to, to sort of rein me in. She was like, you're drinking too much. And yeah. In my opinion, she, she says that to me every once in a while, but it was the first time she said it to her, to me where I've agreed with her. Yes, I am. And I did need you to say that to me right now. So I, um, I got my button gear and luckily had a booker who said, would you do a show virtually? This was March like 11th that she said this to me, that this person said this to me. And I was like, yeah, let's, that sounds scary and fun. So that's, let's do that. <laughs> and 10 days later, we, we, I did a college show down here. It didn't look anything like the studio that you're seeing. It was very bare bones, but I did have like a backdrop set up just for small video projects that I had done. Right. And with what I had, I did my show for a camera down here, live streamed for the first time. And now I've done it hundreds of times down here. I've won tonight, actually. Yeah, I and saw your list of shows coming up. I'm like, yeah, you're doing, you kind of look like almost 50-50 right now, live and then virtual. It still. is, yeah, it is a good, it's a good mix. Um, I think that most of the ones that we're, that we're booking are in person, but I still have a lot of, the virtual is not going to go away. I'm, I'm still going to be doing them for, for groups. There are certain markets that I'm performing virtual shows for that didn't exist for me in, wow. in person shows, like, like performing at, companies all hands meetings you know where they have like a weekly meeting just to catch up they were right. they're booking entertainment for those that they never that's did awesome. before and yeah that's something they would have never hired a magician to come into their boardroom you know and do it and do a show but it's super easy for them to say hey we've got a special guest to to lighten the mood this week right on so yeah so it, any it, i don't remember how we oh you were talking about the the production so a yeah. lot of the gear that and software and and knowledge that I had to pick up in order to live stream that show is pretty helpful in podcasting, mm -hmm. um, especially as it pertains to EQing a microphone um, and, and the, the live sound portion of it. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's super well done, man. Thank but you. yeah, so that beginning of it, man, you, you hit this, this podcast, or I'm sorry, you hit this uh, uh, pandemic world, right. Pandemic life. And yeah. which is amazing that you, you had just a few weeks and you're able to lift it up out of there. That's my spouse often helps like shake me sometimes when I need to be shaken. It's like, kind of, she's sometimes she's like, Hey, maybe you should stop being a bitch and start doing this <laughs> or that, you know? <laughs> so I feel very lucky in that. Um, yeah. but when you think about the pandemic, obviously you, you spent this time, um, 
learning all these skills professionally, what are some of the things that you feel like you learned internally that maybe when you were touring as a magician, yeah, you didn't have time to think about anything that pops out for you? Yeah. For the first time since I was in college, uh, I really felt like I was seeing the direct effort of pushing myself hmm. physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, so I was talking about, you know, how great I thought my college experience was and all that. And a lot of that had to do with being in the Ohio state marching band. I played the drums in the, in the Ohio state marching band. And it was really strange because that was such a large part of my life for five years and so much effort went into that. And that's one of the things that there are two maybe professional marching bands and you know, I'm not going to go and do professional marching bands. So it was like, I had all these <laughs> skill sets that were just gone and, and useless other than the knowledge that you start on Monday with a brand new show and you know that it's going to be done on Saturday hmm. and you have that week. And if you push yourself and learn it, it will be there. It'll come together. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you like, you just, it's a weekly goal. And that came back in this way that for a long time during the pandemic, I was producing two shows every week. I, I was doing wow. a show called Joke Story Trick. And I did 45 live episodes every Tuesday night with a guest. And I had an awesome group of two or three friends that helped me write the jokes for the show. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm starting with a clean slate every show. And it was a 45 minute show that I produced and wrote every week and then presented live. Wow, man. So there's that and the podcast then on Mondays. So I was doing those two shows. And so I sort of learned that I can do that. And I remember saying to another magician friend of mine, if you would have asked me before, like in 2019, I would have told you that I was working really hard, that I couldn't work any harder. Right. And then when we started doing all these virtual shows and I'm writing new shows and I'm writing new jokes and I'm learning new magic, I'm working harder than I've ever worked. So it let me know that I have another gear if I need it, which is nice. really cool, especially... Yeah. I, I remember being down here all hours of the night. I was like down here at like two in the morning building this studio, like working on lighting and working on building the sound and then feeling like, Oh, I I'm so productive right now. <laughs> it was, it was really great. Um, it, it, it felt really good. And I say that feeling a little spoiled because I know that there are a lot of people who hit the pandemic and got into um, a little bit of a, a paralyzation Right. Of between fear, trauma, um, job loss, whatever it might be. And I really do feel for those people. I just only I, I was in that spot just for a shorter amount of time. And I have right. struggled with a lot of anxiety uh, and depression through the pandemic. But work is the thing that has sort of helped me get out of it. That was one of your things to, to drive through. So one of the things huge. Yeah, I have I've I've. I have a lot of coping mechanisms in my life and that's one of them. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, what's cool is I hear you talking about like this extra gear. Um, and the, it seems like artists in general, we have this like drivenness to us, especially yeah. those of us who are out there on the, we're used to being on the road. We're used to, you know, doing interviews. You do you know, like while you're in, the, you know, in transit, you're doing all the promo, you're like all the things. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that I know for me, it, it, I have reached places of complete burnout where the joy was gone. But what I notice as you're talking about it, 
uh, you have this joy about it. You, you're, you know, for those who are just listening, uh, you have the smile talking about this extra gear you discovered. And what is there anything in particular that you feel like helps you keep that joy in the midst of that running at Dis- a higher gear? Discovery. Like the fact that it's always going to be new and it's always going to be different. It never feels stagnant um, because there's always something else that can be done. And I, I've never been like a big long-term goal oriented person. And I know that long-term goals are like great and helpful and useful, but I have a very, I've always had like a very go where the wind blows me uh, strategy to life. And that has allowed me to really just decide in the moment that I'm going to learn these new things and do these new things. I think it also helps that all of my jobs are very social jobs. And I think connection is a huge part of finding joy. Um, Connection with, with other people. We're a, we are a social species. And I don't know if you've ever talked about on this show, the, the lab experiment at Johns Hopkins with the the rats and the cocaine. Um, I don't this? think so. I don't think anyone's mentioned that. I've heard it before, but yeah, definitely refresh me and refresh the listeners. Well, they were giving uh, lab rats cocaine in tiny doses in, um, well, I'm not sure if it was cocaine. It might've been like methamphetamines or something in their water. And they found that the rats in seclusion became addicted and, needed more of it and more of it and more of it. But when they put rats in a communal cage with each other, they didn't become addicted. Right. So the, the, they, they heard made a professor this, talking about this on an interview. Uh, but yeah, anyways, continue. They, well, they That's, just, they, they made cool this, story. they made this, um, this sort of inference based on that, that a lot of addiction stems from, well, and we already know a lot of addiction stems from sort of a void or a hole in our lives mm-hmm. that you're looking to fill, whether it be uh, to sort of numb yourself, self-medicate, you know, away from uh, pain, suffering, whatever. But so, you know, their inference there is that the joy of just being around other people or the comfort of just being around other people is enough to sort of fill some of these voids that might cause addiction. Right. Which really, really interesting stuff. I, I think one of my things that I do when I am suffering is to want to seclude myself and, and self-isolate. And I know it's one of the unhealthiest behaviors and that, that keeps, I can do. It keeps piling on and piling on. I know my journey with depression, anxiety, that was uh, when I first started going to counseling, that was constant encouragement is like when you feel like this, cause there's times I just lock myself in my room. It's like, no, when you feel like this, you have to just force yourself. Like it's go so to the to gym, yeah. go talk to your friends, go, whatever it is that, that brings you joy and connection. You, you have to force yourself to get out. And it really, yeah. it felt like ugh, dragging yourself to it, but then you can see like the lights kind of come back on internally you do. in a way. Yeah. Because it, it takes a lot of energy to start that. You think about when you're when you're in that state and you think about, oh, I got to call someone or text someone and then I got to shower and then I got to get in my car. And it feels like so much work to be around other people and to and to be social. But when yeah. you do, it is it, it fuels the fire as you go. It really Absolutely. does like it, it really does have sort of its own energy that it gives you from from being around other people. And 
it also is to the point where like, and you know, as an entertainer, like you're, you're a musician and, and you, you have toured and played shows and stuff. Sometimes you're around so many people all the time that all you want to do is not talk to anyone and be alone. That is true. I would hit those walls where my guys could see it. They, they'd see it like mm-hmm. in my eyes are like, yeah, Miguel needs to get back to the hotel or Miguel, yeah. why don't you just go <laughs> to the van? Like, and so, yeah, that can be a tough time too. When I am extremely extroverted, but that was a yeah. lesson I did learn. There are certain times where in that context, that is not the context of my life now. I've, I literally joined a like music mastermind and like started working with a new producer and like another producer. Cause I'm like, yeah, this is what I needed. I needed people <laughs> to yeah. keep doing this thing. Sure. And we get our, we get a sense of that with social media now that helps, that helps a lot. I think um, it yeah. can also be bad, but, but <laughs> you get a feeling that people are supporting you and listening to you. And that's all we want at the end of the day, I think is just to be heard. Um, so yeah, I I think it's interesting to that in that case, that's a a weird exception about, about getting too much interaction. Right. Cause I, I feel like that's, it's kind of rare in in that regard. Yeah. And it's, it's just a function of someone who works around people a lot. I I can see, you know, um, people in the service industry being the same way. Yeah. If you're a bartender or if you're like my wife used to do case management where that's your life all the time like yeah then unplugging is definitely a essential piece too yeah if you would have met me in the like 90s or early 2000s in a social setting like a bar there's like a 95 percent chance i would have done magic for you (laughs) and if you meet me in a bar now zero absolute zero zero chance unless you bring it up um you know i'm not i'm not volunteering performing at all because i just get to do so much of it uh, in my, in my career. And I'm not, right. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying like, that's, that's the life you, you built. Like, it's the life yeah, that I've, absolutely. if I've built and it, it became a job and it's not that I don't, I still enjoy it, yeah. but I've had to understand, and you might be the same with music. Actually, this probably applies to a lot of different people who have turned their, their avocation into their vocation in that you it changes for me. So like I have magic, the job mm-hmm. and I have magic, the hobby. And those sort of take up very different parts in my brain. Interesting. I still Can you enjoy, break that down a little bit more. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I still enjoy learning new magic and learning mm-hmm. about new magic, but it's very rare that that stuff that I'm enjoying learning about makes it into my career, like my show. So you know, I'm, I'm reading the magic, the magic, like magazines, I'm learning new stuff. And sometimes I buy stuff or learn stuff that I know will never make it into my show. <laughs> it's not for that. It's for the enjoyment of the hobby. And by separating that, I think I've kept some enjoyment of it, you know, so the, the career That's can't brilliant. ruin that part of it. So it feels like two very uh, diverging things. They're all based on, on this hobby of mine when I was six, but there's still like, there's enough difference there that when I go and do a show, I, I, I don't like leave saying, Oh, I hate magic or, you know, I'm so burned out from magic. <laughs> I can get burned out from my show and from performing. Right. But not, but not from the, actual the idea trade of the hobby. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, and that's, I get that too. Cause uh, a lot of the music I listen to doesn't sound anything 
like what I perform or write. Oh, sure. Uh, which is really odd. But I, I'm a drawn, I'm drawn to two. I, I do pop rock is is my kind of style. Uh, mm-hmm. but I'm drawn to Americana on one side. So I'll, I'll be listening to like Jason Isbell and like all these like ran like the Yvette brothers and all that. Or like J. Cole and Lucas Joyner and our Joyner Lucas and and all these rappers. Like, so I'm either listening to rap or, and then sometimes heavy metal. So it's like completely around where I do this thing in the middle, but that seems to be what I'm drawn to, which brings me joy, kind of refreshes. And sometimes I like learning some of those songs just because uh, I enjoy it. And then sometimes it's fun when someone requests a random oddball song and I can just, I was like, yeah, yeah, I know that one. They're like, what the hell? You know, a Kanye West song, you know? Yeah, that's great. (laughs) So That's that great. keeps it fun. That makes sense. Sure. Sure. I, I guess the same could be said for, you know, if, if I, no one knows me as a close up magician, but if you put like a deck of cards in my hand, I can, I can do close up magic. You know, I, yeah. I spent all of the summer of 2019 studying the works of this one magician, Juan Tamaris. And uh, his stuff is very, he's sort of like <laughs> people have come, compared him to like the Yoda of card magic. He's this Spanish magician, very eccentric performer, but a very specific style. And his, his work takes a lot of mental power. Okay. It's not anything that I would ever do for another person, but I had a blast learning it. That's and awesome. my, and it, it really enhanced my, my brain's ability to learn. It was like the same year that I learned how to solve a Rubik's cube. It was 2019. Nice. And I found myself quicker, like mentally quicker in the Kept time that I was all the synapses that. and, it did, and yeah. everything it, around there. Yeah, man. It knocked off the dust a little bit. It was cool. That's awesome. My kids, I, I have four boys and my three youngest were obsessed with yeah. every kind of Rubik's cube. So once they solved the square, they found like these weird, like star ones. And I mean, it, I had no idea they had all these Rubik's cubes out there and yeah. I've yet to this day, they tried to show me and I, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but, but they, they loved it for a good season. It was, it was a source of frustration for me. Cause I grew up in the eighties when these were new and I had a Rubik's cube, my brother and I had one and we couldn't solve them. Everyone we knew had a Rubik's cube that was mixed up. Uh, you couldn't, <laughs> there was no internet. You couldn't solve a Rubik's cube. So now I'm, this was, uh, this was probably May of 2019. I'm on a layover in Grand Forks and there was absolutely nothing there. The only thing open was Walmart. I had looked for like coffee shops and bookstores. I went to Walmart and spent no lie, like three hours in a Walmart. And the thing I came out with was a Rubik's cube. I was like, I might as well just go to the airport. And I said, I'm going to learn how to solve this Rubik's cube by the time the plane takes off. Hell yeah. And I didn't, it took me about two weeks to learn. But when you I got learned, there, though. I got there. Yeah. And I'm down to, you know, if you mix up, a, I'm still not great at it. If you mix up a Rubik's cube and hand it to me, I can solve it in about, I don't know, 80 seconds, probably 80 or 90 That's seconds. Amazing. It's, it's fast, but you know, there are kids on, on TikTok who can do it in like 10. So it's, it's, it's something that has become incredibly helpful because I hated Rubik's cube magic and audiences love it. <laughs> so the result was so you can kind of work it in a little bit. I did, yeah. The result was a new ten-minute bit in my show that is informed by my history of hating Rubik's cube magic, and and <laughs> it gave me a really interesting point of view on the whole thing, so that I could do it in a different way. That's awesome, man. Now, if I read correctly, you got into magic because you're trying to meet women. Is that was that the? I wouldn't say that's what I got into magic for, but oh, okay. Um, I I definitely tried that in especially you know like college age 
and it doesn't work. You can't do that. That's it. It doesn't do the trick. It no. Uh, that, it, it, I did not even mean that as a pun, to be honest. So I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. Just it, so if anyone thought I did, let's say <laughs> no. It's a. It was a very like looking back on it, like a very sort of pathetic incel view of of like how to talk to the the, uh, the you know the, the opposite sex. But it, it was like. Um, you can't bring it up. It was kind of like what I was talking about going to a bar. Like I, I could never bring it up and make it be cool. But if someone else brought it up, then it would be cool. They're like, so, Oh shit, he does this thing. This is. Yeah. And so what I would do, this is so, this is, I'm embarrassed to admit this. My like roommates, you know, we would all go out to the bar together and they knew to bring it up. So it was kind of like a but game. They, had right? they would, they would bring it up. Cause I was, I've never been good at just going up to a group of people and talking to them unless I'm doing magic. So they were good for that. And then I was, you know, I was good for keeping the conversation going. So there were many times in college I'd be, you know, ending a house party. It's like three in the morning and I'm sitting on the floor with a group of 10 people surrounding me and I'm doing magic tricks. That, that was like a common, that's a common memory in my that's head. Awesome. But, you know, when I, when I met my wife on our first date, I tried to show her magic. I remember sitting in the car in the parking lot. I don't remember where, where we were, what we were doing. It wasn't, it was one of our first dates. I tried to show her magic and she looked at me and she goes, I know what you're trying to do and it's not going to work on me. <laughs> That's the kind of woman my wife is, by the way. Is that the <laughs> moment you knew? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 100%. I was like, I, this is different. And I love this. She was like, Nope, I want to know you. And that has mm. no, like, it was like my magic powers. Like she had a, some sort of force field that, that blocked the magic powers that I knew. Um, and so I actually had to like try, I actually had to like use my personality and, and be real with her, which was awesome. And that is the relationship that we still have. We will be married 15 years in August and we still have that relationship where she does not buy into my bullshit. Uh, and <laughs> Love it. there's something that's really great about that, especially for relationships are really difficult when one person is in show business and the other isn't yes, very, very a, difficult. Very huge uh, struggle. <laughs> yeah, it is because it's difficult for when you go on the road and you go and you do like three or four shows and you have these people that know you for an hour and adore you and give you this admiration for an hour. And then you go home, you expect that same thing from this person. Right. And that's not fair. Like that, you know, those people only knew you and for not an hour. healthy for the artist. <laughs> no, neither way. Yeah. It's to go walk through the door. I am here. <laughs> I am here. Right. But you like, you know, if, even if it's like, you don't say it, but you expect it, you're like, you start comparing right. that. You say, well, those people loved me. And why are you telling me to get my dirty clothes off the floor? You know, they, they accepted me. Well, of course they only knew you for an hour and it's your best hour that you've been rehearsing for 10 years. Like that's, <laughs> it's, it would be silly to expect them to treat you the same way and vice versa. So uh, once I started to realize that it really helped my relationship and my marriage. And so now I do this thing after every show where I sit in the car, as soon as I, I, you know, I'll schmooze and do the merch and all that stuff after the show. And then after I load out, I sit in the car and I don't put in the directions to my hotel. I just sit there and I call my wife and we talk for a good 10 or 15 minutes about her day and what she's up to. And it's a really nice buffer between that like fake, ego world of performing and yes. the the stuff that really matters the real stuff and that has like probably saved my marriage with me spending a lot of time on the road uh and being away from home like 
that has really, uh, it's become a tradition that I look forward to at the end of the night. Dude, that's a beautiful practice. I love that. And that's when I think about uh, my wife and I, it's like that relationship, relationships that I've seen work in this industry. Usually it is the spouse who's not involved in the industry. They are incredibly loving, incredibly supportive, uh, like my wife is, but they're also sort of unimpressed by like the big show of it. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, oh, that's cool. Uh, like you said, like clean up your, clean, go go clean up your laundry. Uh, there was a producer, my band, uh, like two bands ago, we were working with, we we're in Nashville. This producer is like trying to teach us all the odds and ends of the industry. And then all of a sudden he tells us this story where in the eighties, he was in some band that kind of had some notoriety. He's like, where I, I just moved to Nashville. They send a limo, they pick me up, fly all the way across the world, play a show like somewhere in Europe. They pick us up in a limo, you know, a bunch of people there. I feel like, amazing. Like he feels like a God. They fly him back. The limo drops him off at his house and he yeah. walks in it's nighttime and his wife hands him a bag and says, there's dog shit in the back backyard and no <laughs> one's been able to pick it up for the last two days. And he was like, he said, he's in the back, like putting dog shit in the bag and being like, Oh yeah, yeah. this is, this is real life. This and is real. I'm so glad I, I heard, he told me that story way before I ever met my wife. And it really, it really started driving some realities home for me uh, as a performer and as an artist. And what does it yeah. look like to actually have a healthy life and a healthy marriage throughout that? It's interesting to me, the people that I know who are in show business and their wife is like a super fan. That's intriguing. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I know right. that it happens a lot. And a lot of people marry their fans. Like a lot, you know, a lot of people marry someone who only knows them from that job. Uh, right. And I, I'm just curious how that works. Like, is the ego constantly being fed at home? Or is there an understanding that that's a different life? I, I really, I really don't know how that works. But, you know, I forgot to say this. This is important. The first person who ever talked this sense into me about why I can't expect my wife to have the same relationship with me as my fans was Ralphie May, a comedian who he's passed away now. Um, but I was oh, on an airplane sitting next to I Ralphie May. Okay. I remember. And, yeah. And, and he was married at the time and his, his marriage did not uh, work out, but he was talking about that very thing with me. And I don't remember how we got on the topic, mm -hmm. but uh, he was just saying, you know, that's why so many show business relationships don't last because they want you to, you know, that when you're an entertainer, your relationship with people becomes trying to make them like you. Yep. And usually trying to make them like you for something that is very superficial and rehearsed. And that's not real life. That's not, that's not the way that real people like you. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's why I think it's interesting even having friendships outside the industry I love the friends I have in the, in, in the industry, but I also have some really good friends who are outside of it entirely, yeah. barely understand it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that helps, has helped and, my perspective a lot. Uh, yeah. And outside. not only friends, but like hobbies outside of the in industry, you know? Yeah. Like it's really important, I think, to do things that have nothing to do with your job and spend time learning about those things and, do, and getting good at those things and doing those things and, and caring about stuff that's not, you know, constantly okay, what's the, what's the newest guitar, you know, what's the newest right. set of strings or, or pickups or whatever it might be like, what's the, you know, to have a hobby gives you a life outside of that. And so many magicians that I meet 
they live and breathe magic and that's all they care about and know about. And it shows in their performance because they don't have the social interaction skills that make a performance great. The best magic mimics a social, a real social interaction. Hmm. And so bad magic lacks that it lacks. What would this interaction be like if I was not pretending to be a wizard right now? What would this, (laughs) what would this real, like if you and I were having a conversation, what would this feel like? Right. Well, and that's, it's interesting. My interview uh, two days ago, uh, she was talking about the idea of growing the arts community in Kansas City. And she's based here in Kansas City. And she, I, I asked her, what is something that she thinks this, the artists need to, to learn to help the culture grow? And, and she said, we need to have the perspective that other musicians can't be our fans. Like we have to reach out to people. And we started talking about the concept is like, it's not, you don't have an audience full of magicians that show up for you. You have people who are engineers, people who are accountants, people who are day laborers who are coming out. And it's like, if you don't, if all you know is one thing, how do you relate to a wide swath of people? Like, what does that look like? And I, I think that's why maybe even a diversity of friendships, diversity of interests can also help you pull in people that aren't just exactly like you, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be informed by, uh, by life. Like for any for any sort of art, it needs to be it come from a place that uh, for for non artists to appreciate it, they have to relate to it, and so much of of magic acts, they're they are they're performing with other magicians in mind, and that includes methods. You know how how the magic is created. Sometimes there's there's a very popular saying in magic that you're you're thinking like a magician which is seen as a bad thing hmm. because we create steps and moves and reasons to do things that we don't need to create. And we're only Man, creating good. those things because we think that a magician would, would see it. But 99% of non-magicians would never catch on to that. So it doesn't work on Damn. kids. Kids catch everything. <laughs> That's why I don't perform for kids. I love that though. <laughs> uh, you're thinking like a magician. I, I want to start using that for myself and for I think other that it artists. Probably I work applies, with. yeah, it probably yeah. applies to any any performing arts or any arts in general. Is that like, you know, you might put in like some fancy chord progression or whatever it might be. I think it's badass. You yeah, because you think like your, your musician friends would be like, oh, did you hear what he just did? Oh, but not only is it going to go over the heads of every audience, but they might appreciate it more if it were simpler. Right. You know, like I. I I remember I was touring uh, Asia with a blues band. I was doing my magic act, but I was opening for this blues band. And there were two nights where their drummer wasn't with us. And I can't remember why he was sick or something. And we were that night, we were in Thailand and we were just hopping around bars, just having fun. And in Thailand, the Kelly Bell is the the singer of this band. And he's a, a very tall black guy with like long hair. And so he stood out and everyone was like pointing at him and talking to him, going down the street. They're like, eh, you know, yelling at him. Right. And we were walking into bars with bands and they were asking him to play. So I was playing the drums for those two nights. And I can remember like trying to jazz it up. But this is a blues band. And he kept, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Kelly kept looking back at me and saying, play it straight, Mike. Play it straight, Mike. Because like, that's because that is what makes blues work is the simplicity and the, and the feeling, not complexity. 
You know, mm. it's it's about feeling. These are very simple feelings, not complex. Not this isn't a jam band, you know. Man, I love that. Next time I go in the studio, I'm gonna say that to myself as we're going. You're thinking like a musician. Like, what does it look like to connect with a wider audience, man? That's huge. Yeah. Very, very huge. Yeah. I, I got three more things I just wanted to hit sure. on. Uh, time's kind of wrapping up. Uh, but one thing I, I noticed through following you, I'm Honestly, I don't even know originally where we got connected. It's probably through APCA or something like possibly, uh, yeah, maybe one of the things. But I just started noticing. I was like, "There's this guy on my Facebook feed who's just going hard on <laughs> politics." And yeah. uh, you, you really, you really go for it online. Uh, but it's interesting how you engage people because, uh, like, I, I sense sometimes you definitely want to stir the pot. But then mm -hmm. you also are very engaging with people and talking with people and going through it. Um, and where I'm going with that is I, I've had several folks who are more activist level, uh, whether in politics or whether in music, whatever, um, that they have chosen to do that with their career. And yeah. but a lot of people are afraid to dive into that uh, just because they're afraid of alienating people. What what is it that makes you comfortable of just throwing that out there mm -hmm. and challenging people with their political mindset as well. I earned a little bit of freedom to do that. First of all, I would not have done that if I were just starting out my career and wasn't booking shows or if I was starting out and performing in like the corporate market. Okay. But I was very well established and successful in the college market before I ever decided. And it was a choice to decide to speak out. Um, and it also mirrors sort of what I'm interested in. And I decided like, I'm going to be real about what I'm interested in and what I care about. And that's who I am. And I can say, you know, there might be maybe two clients that I haven't worked with because of my politics. And they aren't even people who told me that they're just people who I know were like, extra extra conservative and, and, and like, very out. different <laughs> yeah and it's not even someone like it's not even like they're like i can't deal with this you know this kid's politics or whatever it is um if anything the opposite is true because i have kept engaged with people um my politics are based on i think respect and i don't think that you can go wrong with that but mainly i will not post about something that i'm not confident in my own opinion of very often so, mm -hmm. and if I do post about something that I'm not confident in my own opinion, it's going to be in the form of that, in the form of like, I don't know what I think about this. What do you think? Yeah. Um, for example, you will not see me post about um, Hamas and Israel, like Palestine and Israel, because I, I am, I, I have not sorted my beliefs or feelings out about that. And I'm still learning about it. Like, I, don't, I really just don't know that much about it. Mm. And I've sought out information about it and I still have no, it's a very complicated thing. And there are a lot of really heated opinions on, on both sides of that. Um, that said, um, the, if you look at like black lives matter issues, I have a very specific opinion about that. And it's informed by what's happened to my, in here in my hometown of Columbus, Ohio, where we've have a policing problem and nationally what's happening. And I, I love to talk about that because I'm very confident in my own opinion of it. And I think that an important part of being able to do all of this is being able to have a discussion and recognize when it has gotten to the point where emotions have taken over and it stops mm. being a rational, uh, productive discussion. 
which, you know, let's be fair in politics, very few of the, of the discussions are rational and, and productive. There's a, there's a really so true, there's a really good book. Jonathan and lacking Haidt. in emotion. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, Jonathan Haidt wrote this book. Um, I think his name is Haidt, H-A-I-D-T. Um, he's a, he's a libertarian author and I don't subscribe to libertarian beliefs, uh, but he, he wrote this really great book called The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Argue About Politics and Religion. Hmm. And it did a great job of explaining sort of why that communication breaks down. And, you know, the fact that one side might be appealing to emotion and the other side might be appealing to logic. And by the time they try to have a discussion, this person has already decided what camp they're in. And now they're seeking pieces of logic to support the foundation of the belief that they've already started with. Mm-hmm. So if you come at them with logic and ration or rational thought, you're not going to connect because they're on emotion now. They're they're on the you know I believe this. This is the camp that I'm in, and it becomes it's a very tribal thing. Like um, you know, growing up, uh, my family was conservative, so I was conservative. So I right. voted for I voted for George Bush because that's what I did. And being a Democrat was a a thing that was very outside of what. I was not about what I believed, but what I was. So I think that religion was the thing that took me toward more liberal beliefs toward the end of the Gulf war. I was coming out of college and I was seeing a lot of tax money go, not a lot, but just tax money in general, go to these very Christian ideals. Mm -hmm. You know, the office of faith based initiatives was something that George Bush, George W. Bush put a bunch of money into. And I didn't like that. And I knew why I didn't like it. And I could express that for the first time. Like I was like, I able to say like, you know, I, I don't believe that. Like I want a democracy, not a theocracy. Yeah. I'm paying for these things that I don't, I'm not getting represented. Um, Right. And so as a, you know, maybe the first time in my life, I was like, not um, in the place of, a privileged majority. I don't know, you know, like I'm this white straight dude in the Midwest. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm generally in the, in the majority of, you know, not I'm, I'm generally pretty privileged. So that got me interested in it. Um, reading Howard Zinn's a people's history also really okay. helped inform sort of my beliefs. And I'm, that's part of it. Another part of it is that thing that we all humans sort of sometimes seek drama it's not a healthy thing. So right. there are times when I probably post because I'm bored and I'm looking for <laughs> Saturday drama. afternoon. Yeah. I, this yeah, will, like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I try I to catch myself when that's the case. Where, where it's just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm just here to piss people off. And yeah, there's, definitely so not there, healthy, but I've definitely done that. Yeah, it's not it's not healthy, but there is sometimes a little bit of trolling <laughs> that that occurs. Um, and I, I think that just like in, in live performance, if people know your intention, then you can pretty much just have a conversation and get away with it. So I don't, I'm not, uh, I haven't, I haven't been influenced negatively or have, I haven't been affected negatively by speaking out about politics. I think right. that I've been given or have gained or earned a microphone or a loudspeaker to a lot of people. And so there might be someone who hears a message for the first time from me. And that would be amazing. If that's the case. Well, it seems like the way you handle it, it's something that may, may disarm some people where it can go from who I am to what I think and might be able to help take them down that road. 
one of the best things I ever did was I, I I'll take some serious topic, like super serious topic, like abortion or something that people generally just go straight for the straight at the throat, you know, like get super heated and say, tell me what you think about this. Answers that are not in the form of a haiku will be deleted. <laughs> and I'll do That's it. That's a great way to do it. It is because it gets rid of like all of the emotion you know, even if someone comes on there with an opinion that differs from the majority opinion on that on those comments, someone can't reply to that unless they do so in a haiku. And it keeps <laughs> things civil. I've done it with limericks as well. I've done it with song lyrics. Um, and it's a really good way of like getting, you know, having an engaging discussion and ha- letting people express themselves without it just turning into a dumpster fire. <laughs> well, and I, I know for me, mine can get pretty emotional. Um, luckily I've had some in person that have gotten extremely emotional, but when you're in person with people who know you, like you said, the intent, uh, you, it seems like you can recover from that. It's harder online, uh, for sure. Uh, but it's thinking that, about it, I though, like, you know, well, like how do you was, get people to wrestle with those questions? Yeah. And, and thinking about it now, I think one of the reasons it doesn't devolve when I do those types of posts is that the reason that those go down the gutter is that people post out of like emotion before they have time to sit and think about it for a minute. And that makes people sit for a minute and think before they type, they can't just go like, you're an idiot. Like they have to be like, even if, even if they're going to call you an idiot, they have to come up with like, you know, the rhyme for it or the the right meter that's going to fit in. It's like, can I fit fuck you, you Nazi into this haiku? (laughs) I don't know. Um, but four syllables, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, man, I, I love that perspective. And I think it's a good lesson for me listening, hopefully for others of like when you get into, cause I think it's important to talk about because even the conversations, yeah. even the last few like heated ones I've had have been valuable conversations. And that's how I learned. I went the same track. I voted for Bush. I, I was like full on conservative all the way. That's how I grew up. And then yeah. over time and life. And I think the skepticism and asking mm-hmm. questions, you start to see the world differently but it wasn't an overnight and it sure as hell wasn't someone cussing me out that helped me make that transition. It was those, those questions and walking with people, uh, which I, I say that as the lessons I feel like I'm learning even as we speak, but I, it's cool to see you modeling that. And I love that. Sure. Thanks. Well, the last two questions, uh, live and create podcast. I like to end with these two questions based off that. So right now in your life, how would you define living a great life? Living honestly, truthfully, and openly. Um, And I I think that being able to be mindful about when I'm in pain and and not only that, but also when I'm happy is really important. And that's that's what helps me. And it has nothing to do with success or failure, really. Like it has nothing to do with, with money. I don't make as much money as I did a few years ago. And I'm I, I don't think that that has a bearing on my happiness, but what does is understanding that like, if I'm having anxiety or depression, being able to recognize it and do something about it is, is important. Just like if I'm having a good day, being able to express that. And, and even if it's just sort of thinking to myself, I'm having a good day, super important. And uh, on, on a day to day, having that daily check-in with myself is that's, that's sustainable, right. For the rest of my life, that's going to keep me happy for the rest of my life. Like 
just knowing like where I'm at is, is going to keep me happy. That's awesome, man. I love it. And then the last question right now, how would you define creating great things? It's that's difficult um, because I go back and forth on this, you know, um, and I'm, I'm sure every artist has this where are creating, are, are things that I'm creating great because people say they're great or are they great because I like them? And as someone who is a commercial artist, right? Like I'm creating magic that I need to sell. It's difficult to do things that without, without other people enjoying them. So <laughs> for me right now in the space that I'm at, I think having other people react is the thing that sort of helps me define that I'm on the right track. I don't like that answer, but I think that that's probably an honest answer. Um, I wish that I could just do what I want to do and say, I don't care whether y'all like it or, or don't like it. Um, but it's not fun to create stuff that people don't react to. You know, right. I, I think the best art is something that elicits some sort of emotional reaction in, in someone. And if it doesn't have some sort of reaction to in someone, why... Why are you showing it to anyone? You know, maybe it was just for you. Um, so yeah, that's sort of where I'm at with that. I think that having other people react to it and enjoy it and tell me they enjoy it so that I know uh, that, that they enjoy it keeps me in the mind of wanting to create more. That's awesome, man. That's I, I've talked to a lot of bands where I'm like, where they struggle with the idea of crafting things for an audience and especially with like songwriting. Cause th those are your babies. But once you get in the studio, you tear it apart and you start asking the questions like what is engaging, what isn't. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like the moment you leave your basement as a band and try to start performing out in the world, you now have to consider your audience. And so yeah. I, I love that. And I love that you said uh, it's maybe not, your favorite answer, but it's the honest answer. I don't know. Maybe I'm messing up how you said it. But. No, that's, that's it though. I mean, yeah, I, I wish that I could just say that everything I do is 100% for me, but this is a job at the end of the day that I'm trying to sell. Like this is a, a service that I'm trying to sell. And not only that, but like I'm, cr I'm creating these things to put into the world for other people to enjoy. And if I can do something that starts with something that I enjoy and find a way to make it interesting for other people, that's the best of both worlds. Absolutely. So I have this formula. Uh, my moniker is comic magician, smart ass. And everything that I do in my show has to be at least two out of those three things. And nice. if it's not two out of those three things, then I'm not being honest to my brand and who I am and what I'm going to enjoy. So that sort of keeps me reined into like, you know, well, that's Michael being Michael. So I can't completely sell out. You know, if I were doing something that was just 100% like dramatic magic, people might enjoy it, but I'm not going to be fulfilled by that because that's mm. not being, that's not speaking through my voice. So I, I have to have uh, some, some sort of a formula and it has to have a little bit of uh sting. Like it has to have a little bit of irreverence or what I would call, like, I, I have to put some stank on it. Like I have to, there has to be something to whatever creation that is that has just a little bit of edge or uncomfort or whatever it might be. And uh, it's difficult because I don't want that to mean like, oh, he's performing dirty stuff. Like my podcast, the internet says it's true is 100% family friendly. In fact, right. I 
it's I just got affiliated with our local NPR station uh, based on that. Nice. So congrats. So I'm really excited about that. I'm I'm now in their in their podcast network, and it's a choice that I made from the very beginning. And so how do I find something that's a little bit like what's the word subversive or or irreverent while being 100% family friendly? It's a little bit more challenging. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks for making the time. There's so much great stuff in there that I think will bring a lot of value to people listening. That was awesome. I hope so. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Live and Create podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment or a review. The Live and Create podcast.